Welcome to Coach Life 2.0, the podcast that offers a behind-the-scenes look at life as a coach. Through the personal stories and first-hand accounts of experienced coaches, this podcast offers valuable tips and tricks for embracing your own coaching journey and learning how to lead yourself and others more authentically. This week's episode features Kim McCullough. Kim is a former NCAA D1 captain and professional hockey player who founded her company Total Female Hockey 13 years ago. As the director of TFH, Coach Kim has worked with thousands of players and teams across North America, sharing her expertise on how to get to and excel at the next level. In addition to her work with TFH, she has also coached at the university, provincial, and national team level. Kim has served as a bench coach for 12 seasons with the Toronto Leaside Wildcats, the organization she played for growing up, and she was inducted into the Leaside Sports Hall of Fame in 2019. Kim was recently named the Director of Hockey Operations for Leaside, a role that puts her in charge of culture, coaching, and player development for the largest girls hockey association in the world. Hi, Kim. Thanks for joining me today. My pleasure, MJ. I'm excited to chat with you. Me too. Definitely excited to hear a little bit about your coaching journey. Would you share a little bit of background as to how you got into hockey in the first place? Sure. I was a very late starter in hockey, uh, especially growing up in Toronto. So I started playing when I was 12 years old, 13 years old. Um, And how it started was I played soccer and basketball with the boys since I was five years old. So total you know, tomboy, you know, very sporty. I grew up across the street from a park, but I never took up hockey, which is ironic because there was an outdoor rink right across the street from me. Uh, But my, you know, my parents didn't really play. Uh, There was no connection. And then all of a sudden, uh, one year on my boys soccer team as a travel team, another girl joined. She just happened to move into the town or into the city and go to the same school as me. And she was a, you know, tomboy too. And she joined the soccer team. So for the first time ever, I, I think I'd been on this boys' soccer team for six years, and there, I was always the only girl. And you can imagine how, how that was at times. And all of a sudden, I had this friend, you know, instant friend. But she was a very elite-level hockey player. So during our winter season, because we played all year round, which I guess was maybe a little more rare back then, she left during the winter. And I was like, oh, my friend's gone. Um, and so she actually convinced me or maybe inspired me to play hockey she her dad was a coach at Leaside and uh, which is where I coach now and they got me into it you know I'm not sure if you would call it nepotism but I played one year of house league and then made the bantam double a team which Mm -hmm. I was probably not quite where I needed to be but it probably helped that uh, her dad was the coach and uh, that's kind of what set me off on my journey and and compared to the other sports I played hockey just took hold of me and all that athleticism and work ethic and focus that I had had in the other sports, I kept playing those other sports the whole way through high school. But hockey just captivated me. And going to that outdoor rink and practicing for hours and hours on my own, just like I shot baskets for hours or kicked a soccer ball against the wall for hours, like that was my new passion. And I think it came at a great time because I think when you're 13 years old, you're only doing it if you really want to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not your parents saying, OK, time to go to hockey. And you go, oh, I got to go to hockey. But, you know, when I started, I would put my skates on at home with no skate guards and walk across the street. 
through the field into the, like, I had no idea. I didn't know what skate guards were. Like I was just, I'm not even sure how I grew up across from that rink and just never had that experience of hockey. But, uh, you know, it sort of took over my life from there. And I I became ravenous about learning the game on and off the ice. And, um, you know, was able to have lots of opportunities, you know, to play at the university level and beyond as a result. So I, I think that late start helped me. It certainly prevented me from having burnout because by the time I got to university hockey at 18, 19 years old, I'd only been playing for five or six years. I was, I I was a huge ball of potential. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that's how it started. And um, you know, I've been entrenched in the hockey world uh, ever since. What was the transition like after playing into coaching? Well, you know, I'd always been told I'd be a great coach, which, as you know, when you're a player, you're like, oh, is that an insult? Like, or is that a compliment? I'm not sure. Like, does that mean I'm not, you know, because if you, those who can't play coach, right? Like there's a, you know, a, a saying that goes like that. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was, I was always told as a player, I was very focused. I, I understood, you know, the drills. I remember in college, you know, the coach would drop the drill and, uh, you know, she'd be like, does everyone get it? And my teammates would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they'd all come to me and be like, Kim, what the hell did she just say? <laughs> what was that? Um, you know, so I was, uh, I was always sort of, I guess I had this understanding of the game, whether it was an eight or it came from the outdoor rink or watching the Leafs on TV, I'm not sure. So I'd been told that, but I didn't foresee myself going into that. I, I had a degree in uh, molecular biology and philosophy. I'm not sure how to explain that. And then I, you know, I, uh, when I was playing professional hockey, I got my master's degree in neuroscience. So I'm a a big nerd. And so I I just didn't see that as my path. Uh, But the way it transitioned was I was a personal trainer when I was playing professional hockey as a way to pay the bills because you don't get paid or you didn't get paid back then to play professional. And I ended up working with a lot of trainers who were getting into online training. So this would have been back in the mid 2000s and they were creating online training programs for people to lose weight or get more fit or gain more muscle. And they were doing quite well. And they were sort of first in on on that side of the online training side of things. So they sort of inspired me to create a program and with Total Female Hockey, create a whole business where I would do online training for hockey players, for female hockey players. Uh, so I, I actually joined this mastermind group and I had to fly to these meetings and I went all in and I launched total female hockey three months after I quit playing professional hockey. So it was a very quick transition, but it wasn't a transition into bench coaching. It was a transition into player development, uh, because my background at first, I, I think we all taught skills camps when we were, you know, in high school and university, but my main love at that time was strength and conditioning and the fitness component of the game. So that's where I went in first. I went all in on the the off-ice training piece of it and and also the mental side and, you know, how to navigate college hockey. I guess we'd call them kind of the softer skills as opposed to here's how to shoot and here's how to pass and here's how to skate. Uh, but that was my main focus and then, you know, over a number of years transitioned from being that I I guess you'd call it a player development coach into a bench coach and that happened I guess over a period of two or three years when people start asking me oh would you like to coach a team I thought oh that'd be interesting and uh, I've been doing that ever since too so uh, but that's how the transition happened for me it was very much uh, an entrepreneurial business transition 
as opposed to, hey, I'd really like to get behind the bench and, and coach a team. And could you talk a little bit about that transition? Like you said, so from the total female hockey, focusing a lot on like individual player development to taking a position on a coach on a coaching staff as a head coach with an organizational team. Like what was that transition like for you? I mean, it, I don't think it's necessarily that you left one for the other because they've kind of been ongoing throughout the course of your career. But what would you say maybe are some of the the differences between the two, some of the similarities, maybe some things that you find rewarding or challenging on on either side? Sure. I, I think the number one thing for me, and I've been, you know, I've been a bench coach now for 12 years, and, and many of those years I've coached two teams at a time. The player development, the person development, the athlete development piece, that's my true love. I love that part of it. You know, seeing them get the mental side of the game and, you know, figuring out how to do that move on the ice or how to make that pass under pressure, like that individual player side of it, that's my my first and true love in all of it. And, you know, when we worked together way back in the day um, at the peak school, I looked at what we did as kind of filling holes in players' games. So as a bench coach, you, you can't necessarily spend a whole hour working on their backhand passes. Well, I mean, you could, but then, you know, what about the breakout and the forecheck and the power play? Like there's, there's never seems to be enough time. Whereas when you're on that skill development or player development side of it, you know, there was times, you know, we worked on a whole hour of saucer passes, that was a luxury in my in my mind compared to the way the team game has evolved now where it's very game loaded and and much less of the the practice and skill development side of it um so as i transitioned more into the team side i always thought it was a great asset that i was in love with the player development side of it so whether i was coaching bantam or midget or junior i've been able to address you know the mental side of the game I've been able to address the nutrition side, the off-ice training side. You know, I sort of become the jack of all trades, you know, how to run the face-offs. But what I've learned over the years in doing that, of course, is that that's a lot to take on as one person. And while that's what I do with Total Female Hockey, I address the on-ice and the off-ice and the mental and and all of that. Uh, When you're in a team environment, you become a singular voice that becomes monotonous again and again. Okay, guys, now we're doing the training now. And what I realized the challenge of that is, is it it starts to get, you know, drowned out a little bit. And certainly as you get players for, you've, you know, had for five, six, seven years over their development, and you're the only voice they're hearing, you know, I, I started to realize, you know, I needed to delegate, I needed to give more responsibilities to different people and offload some of those things. So even though I could do it, and I, you know, sometimes, you know, I would think, oh, I can do that better than someone else can. Uh, because of my experience, I've realized now it's much more valuable to hand some pieces of that puzzle off, whether that's, you know, hey, you coach the defense or you run the power play or, you know, you run this team building session. You know, that that really was a, a bit of a, a mind shift for me that really happened over the last couple seasons. I got a lot more comfortable with handing things off and trusting uh, my staff and my players to to run a little bit more of the show on their own. Yeah. And building on that, I suppose, I mean, that would definitely be one concept that would fall under this question as well. But like the philosophy behind effective coaching is something that seems to continuously be evolving. Uh, It's definitely seen some substantial shifts in the last few decades. I mean, I even look back to when you and I were working together at peak since then, there's been a lot of developments. If, If you were to look back at your first few years of coaching versus where you are now in terms of your personal approach or just your general coaching philosophy, 
what are some things beyond the being the voice versus delegating to other people, uh, things that maybe you've changed your mind on? Sure. Uh, well, I, I'm a big quote person and you know that. And, I, and I always, I've always believed this to be true, that talent sets the floor and character sets the ceiling. So to me in a team environment, you know, I've never been someone who is going to chase after the quote unquote best player at all costs. That's not me. Uh, maybe I like the challenge of just taking the best people and trying to make them the best player. Uh, but I, you know, I guess I've never really been in the recruiting game in the way of like selling my program or saying, oh, we're going to be the best and this is the best. And maybe that's just me. And that's, you know, my, my philosophy. But I, I really want, I've always wanted people who want to be here, but I wanted the best people possible in the room. I wanted the best character. Now, when you coach in Toronto and you coach at the level we coach at, you know, it's pretty easy to get very talented players. So it's not like you're getting someone who can't skate right? You're, you're going to have some level of talent. But for me, and this has stayed the same the whole way through, you know, the character has always, I've always valued that way more uh, than the talent. And so I've had some years we've been very successful and I've had some years we've been horribly unsuccessful in terms of the standings, but I've always had a great room. I've always enjoyed coming to the rink personally. Never been like, oh, I got to go deal with these kids again. Ugh. Right. And I think a lot of that as the environment that I've created and, and really putting the right people on the bus and then trying to get the most out of that bus, right, as humanly possible. But I think the biggest transition for me, it goes back to the last question, is I've gone from telling to asking, right? And, I, and I've shown a lot more vulnerability. And I, and I don't necessarily mean like sharing my deepest and darkest fears, but I, I've shown a willingness to collaborate or let someone run the show and I actually did an interesting exercise at the end of last season. I asked my assistant coaches on the two teams I coached with, uh, what do you think are my strengths? You know, and, and I sort of had in my head, oh, they're going to say, oh, you're really good at running everything or you're always super motivated and ready to go, even if it's a tough day. And, but their feedback was that I was willing to show some vulnerability and delegate, not just to them, but to the players, right? So I, I think sometimes... You know, we, we tell the players, okay, well, you got to stand here. You got to do this. And, and what I've done now is I want players to understand how their game fits into the bigger team game. So what do you bring to the table? How could you do that a little differently based on what your strengths are, right? So if you have a pure goal scorer versus a, you know, a hard F1 four checker, you know, they're going to play a dump in a little differently. Their mindset's going to be a little different when they go to pick it up that puck. And so now... I celebrate that that game within the larger game, which is nice for me because, again, I've always had that, that focus on player development, individual player development, whereas in the past it was more you have to do this, you have to do this, telling, telling, telling. Now it's much more asking and collaborating. So if I'm giving a player feedback now, I'll say, okay, like, how did that feel? Why did you make that decision? You know, would you do it differently next time? And, and it's interesting because some of the players I've known for four or five years are like, wow, this is really different. Like, you're really challenging me to think differently. And, and I love getting that feedback. So it, it's, I'm much more quiet on the ice now, which you would laugh because you knew me way back when, when it was like, <laughs> like I'm the color, com not the color commentator, I'm the play-by-play -play guy. I obviously love to talk. Uh, but now I, you know, I'm a much more silent coach uh, because I want it to come from them and the whole point of, to me, for coaching junior is not to win the championship. It's to launch these kids off to the next level. So do they have all the tools? So when they get to university hockey, 
they not just they don't just meet expectations they exceed expectations that's my job right they get there and they're like oh i did this with kim already this isn't so bad that's what i want for all of them and so that's my mindset always is how do i fill that toolbox and i think that transition from telling to asking i don't know if it's come yet completely in in hockey in the female game even but i think that's the direction it should go is you know these these players want to know why so let's explain it to them and let's give them a little bit of ownership of their own play instead of always dictating from above so that that's sort of the my big transition i would say over the last couple of years is uh more of that collaborative environment with my players and my staff yeah for sure i mean the engagement piece is so important right and empowering them to learn to find their own answers as well right a- at times absolutely like said, i mean instructing is not necessarily telling them what to do you know i think it's at times helping them providing some guidance but at other times just empowering them to to believe that they're capable of finding answers to their own questions at times right for sure and and i think you know it's interesting and again you knew me way back when when i first started on the bench and when you're doing that you know play by play and the players go up there say pass it pass it move your feet they freeze yeah. They don't like they don't. And I and I it's a little interesting because I I always sort of wondered why they did that. And now I've taken up squash because, you know, sometimes you have some I have three kids and I coach hockey. I need some anger management sometimes. So I, hitting a ball against a wall is very good for that. But, you know, I've, I've taken some lessons. I have a coach and it drives me nuts when I'm about to hit the ball and he goes, says something. I want to take my racket and break it over his head. And I realize I've been doing that to kids for 12 years. Right before they go to shoot the puck, I'm like, shoot or hi or yeah. what an idiot I've been, you know, like, but it, it, you know, it really came full. I've learned that, you know, I've transitioned sort of away from that, but it, it came to, you know, fully within my, in front of my face when I was learning a new sport. And I'm like, oh, why does he keep yelling right when I'm about to hit the ball? <laughs> oh, well, sorry, guys. Sorry, everyone I coached over the last 12 years. Oops. <laughs> Lesson learned. Yeah. Well, that's interesting, right? So making the shift to being coached again, right? Because I think often coaches over time, as the decades go by, like you're further and further removed from your playing days. So it's interesting to be back in a position where you have a coach and what you can learn that can then benefit you as a coach. Like, is there anything else aside from that, that you've picked up from the experience? Well, I picked up, you know, that you know, it's funny because hockey helps a lot when you're playing squash because it's all lunges and reacting. And so everyone's like, oh, you're you're pretty good, except I just run around like a chicken with my head cut off. I, I've learned I don't need to, you know, be a, a Tasmanian devil. But that's the same thing as in hockey. Right. I think when I started playing hockey, I was all athlete, no hockey player. So I just skated as hard as I could, hit everything that was moving. And then as I progressed in my hockey career, I became more and then again, you know, different skills coaches would say maybe like a spider, like the game ran through me, but I didn't have to touch every single piece of the ice as I was skating around, I became more patient. So I'm trying to learn that in my sport, but I, I'm still not there. And I'll play guys who are like 65 years old, and they just annihilate me because they know where to put the ball. And I'm, I've got an ego still, you know, I'm a professional, former professional athlete. And I'm like, how is this guy who can't even run? He's just walking around the court just killing me out here. So I have to learn a little bit more patience. But the one thing I have learned that I've taken uh, directly from, or, or maybe it's highlighted to me something for coaching in, in a team environment. So when 
I'm being coached in squash, they put a lot of conditions. So, for example, you'll have a game where, you know, the player in the back of the court can only hit it to the front of the court. And the player in the front of the court can only hit it to the back of the court. Or you're only allowed to use backhand shots. Or you're only allowed to use drop shots. And this is quite common in the sport of squash. Like every practice you do or every um, lesson you do has a drill or a number of drills that have these conditions, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think, you know, I think back to my hockey coaching and I go, okay, well, there's certain drills we do. Okay, you're entering the zone and I want you to make at least one pass or you need to make three passes or you play small area games and you say, okay, you know, you you only can score off a one-timer, right? And so maybe the skills you worked on the whole session, you're working on one-timers or shooting off the pass and then it, you know, kind of comes all together at the end in this small area game where you can only score off a one-timer. And I've learned in squash that like that's just a normal part of every practice session. And I've translated that over to hockey. And, and I've tried to do that for years for hockey. But now that I'm doing it in a different sport, I'm seeing the value of it even more because I am a beginner. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we do these conditions in games and I'm like, I have no idea why I'm hitting the ball to the back from here. It's just because the coach told me to. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm not good enough yet to understand why that's so effective and so then I asked the coach well, why am I doing that oh because in a game you want to do this and I'm like oh this is just like hockey coaching coach is a coach is a coach right he's explaining to me you do this so that your opponent does this the same way we say you're going to angle like this on the four check so that your opponent does this uh, so it's been really cool for me uh, to you know it's kept me fit ish um, you know which is always nice but uh, it, it's definitely been a nice mental and physical challenge for me. And, uh, and there's definitely been some carryover back uh, into the team sport environment as well. That's awesome. All right. So I want to shift a little bit here uh, and take a little bit more of a look at Kim as a person. So yeah, I mean, the whole point, right, is behind the scenes look at life as a coach. So I guess when I when you think about your upbringing, would you say there's any particular traits or life lessons that you've inherited from your parents that have had a notable impact on your approach to coaching? Well, you happen to know my parents relatively well, so I, I'm chuckling as you ask the question because <laughs> they're quite quite the, the duo. Yes, absolutely. My, my mother is a lawyer, uh, and she's worked for herself her entire life. Never worked for a firm. She's changed careers a couple times when she was younger, but she's been a, a lawyer for, I won't age her, but let's say at least 40 years. And she's never, you know, uh, she's always been on her own. She's always been an entrepreneur. My father uh, was, he worked uh, for Spar Aerospace. He's a rocket scientist, which is always cool to say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when he actually is on phone calls for his job, I, I really can't understand what he's saying. I'll give him a little plug. He designed the Canada arm that comes out of the spaceship. And I say that because I always laugh when someone like asks at a hockey game for someone to run the clock. Because my dad will go and like try to run the clock and he can't figure it out. And everyone's, someone's always like, it's not rocket science. I'm like, obviously not. He can do rocket science, uh, but can't run the clock. So, um, but they, when he was, when I was 16 years old, he was always away because he was a VP at this big company. And so he wasn't around a lot when we were growing up and neither was my mom. We were latchkey kids. You know, we grew up, you know, all three of us walking home from school and spending the whole afternoon on our own, microwaving our dinners, going to the park and creating chaos. So our parents just weren't around, but they were great role models in terms of, you know, their work ethic. And they certainly never took a sick day, which is hard to do when you're an entrepreneur anyways. But at 16, Mm -hmm. my dad left his job at at Spar and and became an entrepreneur and became a consultant. So all of a sudden I went from never having him around. He was never at my games. He never drove me to practice to being around all the time. 
And as you know, he's still around all the time. He does stats for our junior team. We talk for hours after every game. He's there in the same seat in the stands at every single junior game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went from never having him around when I was a kid to always having him around now, which is amazing. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, the biggest thing I learned from them, and especially my mom, is she wasn't, you know, sort of the traditional mom. She never baked us cookies or, you know, like, oh, how was your day? Like she was off doing her thing. But what an amazing role model in terms of, you know, empowering me to understand, hey, I can do things how I want to do them. I don't have to fall into this category of, okay, well, you know, you're a girl, so you have to do this. And, you know, she, I, I don't think she watched me play more than 10 hockey games in my whole life. She for sure couldn't tell you what a breakout is, but just that inspiration of seeing her and how hard she works and the things she's been able to achieve, you know, she came over, you know, from, uh, from Germany at the end of the second world war after being in a concentration camp with nothing. And she's extremely successful now and she did it all on her own. So I think part of that is great because I'm like, well, man, she can do it now. She's awesome. Maybe I can be so awesome, but I think her and I both sort of fall into that we'll just do it all and put it all on our plate and not necessarily delegate or hand things off. Um, but it's, you know, my family has definitely inspired me, especially I have a, a confidence in being an entrepreneur. I'm not scared that I've never had a regular paycheck. It doesn't bother me. Like I have a confidence that I'll be able to do it because I saw them do it. And so I, you know, I just feel like anything is possible, uh, which is a great way to grow up. And there was never any specific motivational speeches from my parents It's just because we were so independent as kids, because we had to be, and because I watched them achieve great things as entrepreneurs, I I think that's where my confidence came from as a person, from those examples. And that's been the greatest gift they've given me as it relates to everything I do with my work, but also with my family. I just have that innately within me. Uh, So it's a pretty cool thing. and, And it's neat for me now as a parent to know that wasn't because of what they said, it was because of what they did. And I'm always telling my players, like, don't tell me how good you want to be. Show me how good you want to be. I say the same thing to my children because that's how I was brought up. I watched my parents do that. They did it. They didn't say it. They just did it. So, yeah, they've they've had a huge impact on me, even though we had a very sort of non-traditional family, like never had family dinners, weren't around each other a ton. Uh, but they they definitely inspired me by leading by example. That's so interesting, right? And it, it's kind of it can be one of those things that you don't necessarily appreciate till a bit later in life, right? Like, you know, oh, were there ever sure. moments when you were younger where you were like, you know, why is my mom not making me cookies? Or, you know, you see things that are going on with other families, but ultimately you're right. It's that piece on you learn way more from what you watch them do than from what, you know, you hear them say. There's a lot of people that say the right things, but the people that lead by action and set that positive example are, are so important to have in our lives. Oh, for sure. And I remember going to, you know, I had some close friends I played hockey with. I'd go to their house and there'd be like a whole thing of dinner. And I'd be like, what? Look at this whole, someone made this? <laughs> and again, I don't mean that, to, you know, my parents are busy of professionals, course. right? So I don't mean to say, oh, like they did something wrong. Absolutely not. But I, I do feel a little bit for some of my best friends growing up because I was definitely like the third child or the second child or the fourth child because I was like, oh, can I come over? <laughs> Because yeah. <laughs> there's going to be dinner. I'm excited, you know. But again, that that to me was my growing up. Like that was my normal. I, I think mm-hmm. that's important to know too, right? Like I wasn't necessarily comparing. You'd see on movies, or you'd see on TV, or you'd see, you know, your friends, and you go, "Well, like that's weird. That's weird yeah. that they're having dinner every night." Because that wasn't my normal, right? And and you realize again, it comes back to team environment, right? 
I'm coaching players, you know, with a junior team, maybe I'm seeing them 10 hours a week or 15 hours a week, depending on how many games we have total, right? From beginning to end of each practice session or game or whatever. How many hours are they spending at home? Like a lot, right? So I may have a, a big influence, but I'm not sure that I can outweigh the parental influence of what they've got going on in their home environment. So again, being a parent now, I, I understand that. Um, differently than I would have, you know, uh, 10 or 15 years ago. But yeah, I think, uh, you know, your normal is your normal. And, and uh, I never really got caught up in, in comparing to what other people's normal was. I, I think you would agree, MJ, I, I wouldn't classify myself as normal anyways. So it's never been something <laughs> I'd strive for. Who is, right? Everyone exactly. in their own way. Your perceptions, your reality, right? So everyone kind of lives a different one. For sure. Um, you know, speaking on family, just to take it a step further here. So I know like when we started or when we were working back together over a decade ago, you know, we only had ourselves to worry about and, and flash forward, you know, now you have a husband and three kids at home. Um, I'd love to get a little bit into the topic of work-life balance or actually what one of the other coaches brought up to me was the concept of work-life flow, because I don't know that an equal balance between the two is necessarily achievable. But having a flow and making space for both often is. That can be very hard to navigate, especially once you have a family and, and kids to care for. Has this ever been a challenge for you? And furthermore, are there any strategies that you know your family's kind of adopted to help you successfully navigate your commitments to work and family? It is always a challenge. And and I don't mean that, you know, I think sometimes we use the word challenge and, and it has a negative connotation. And and, uh, you know, it's a challenge, but in a way that, you know, I'm, I want to figure out and it, and it evolves, right? It's been a little different during COVID when I'm at home working and, you know, have the three kids around all the time and, and maybe aren't able to offload the kids as much with my parents or my, my in-laws as maybe I would like. Um, but, you know, I think first and foremost, I love the word flow because I, I think for me, um, you know, I, I, it's never, you know, one or the other. Okay, well, this you know, is as an entrepreneur, it's, it's sometimes hard to go, well, this is pure family time, or I'm going to take it completely off because I love working on my business, right? There's working in your business, which is when I go in the garage and train people, or I go and go to the rink and run a practice that's working in the business. And that part is fun too, but I love the working on, right? So, okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to write, you know, this article, I'm going to set up our plan for the next three months for the junior team. I, I like, I love that side of it. And I, and I find it energizes me. I love to have that plan that looking forward, you know, I, I need part of that. So whether that's just reading a book and educating myself or, or doing something that I feel like is making me um, a better person or a better coach overall, I can't shelf that completely and go, okay, I'm going to three weeks. Like, to Mexico, like I, I'll still have a book or I'll still be learning because I, mm -hmm. that for me is part of um, like my life force. I need that. It feeds me a little bit. Um, but what I have understood is, is kind of, um, you know, either when to turn it on and off or also when to integrate my family into it. So when my, when my son was first born, that would be ooh, six and a half years ago. Uh, you know, I was a, a little bit more nervous about leaving him, not with my husband. My husband's amazing. He is absolutely like what most people would consider the primary parent. He spends more time with them. He does more with them, like on a day to day than I do. And I don't mean that to put myself down. I definitely mean to elevate him. I think it's great. Uh, but that's just how it works in our relationship. And so he would bring my son to the rink and watch him 
and watch the game. My husband is not a hockey person, which I think has helped immensely in our relationship. I don't come home and watch hockey because he's not watching hockey. He actually knows quite a bit now. Like he'll come to a game and be like, oh, I know that you guys were bad today. I don't really know why, but I know that was bad or that was good. Right. So it's kind of funny yeah. how that's evolved. Um, but he would bring my son. And there were times, you know, you're, oh, I got to change his diaper or their food or, you know, he's crawling around on the floor and screaming and, and that was distracting, but it was also so cool to be on the bench and see him over there. And, you know, as he got older, he'd wave at me or, you know, a great little tidbit, both him and my four-year-old, they thought that uh, the national anthem, the Canadian national anthem, which they play at our games is, they call it the hockey song. <laughs> They're like, the hockey song is playing mommy. And I was like, that would be the national anthem, but it, that's. You know, because they've spent so much time at, at Leaside Arena with me, um, you know, that was that was the hockey song. It wasn't the Canada song, you know. Um, yeah. And then as, you know, once my, uh, once we had the third one, my husband didn't come anymore because, of course, could you please come to the game and watch the three kids and feed the newborn and figure out where the heck the five-year-old is and yeah. the three-year-olds and like, that's not fair. And again, he's not really a hockey guy, so he's, he's not desperate to be there. And then that's asked, my dad's at every game. So I'm asking a lot of my dad, hey, could you also watch the kids while you're doing this? Like, it's, it's a little bit selfish, but I really miss having them there. Mm -hmm. like, it was really nice to see them over there and have that family connection. And again, I've always had that because my dad's always there, which I, I definitely don't take for granted because he was never there when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think over the two year, last two years, not having that, it just, it changed a bit of the focus for me. And I became more hockey focused and less family focused and I do when I'm with my team you know we do have you know kind of that familial atmosphere in the dressing room I wouldn't say we're purely a family although just like any family you fight with your teammates or your coaches sometimes and that's normal but I've always prided uh, myself in our program and having that you know that familial uh, atmosphere and then I I self-selected away from that and again mostly because it wasn't fair to expect my husband to juggle all three of them at the game but it, but it did it took something out of it for me that I wish, you know, I could put back in and, and I'm not coaching next year. I've taken on a slightly different role in our organization. And now that I'm looking down and saying, ah, oh, odds of us playing a game are pretty low for the rest of the season. You know, it, I, I sort of feel like I've missed out uh, and having them around. Um, but uh, it's, it's been a big piece for me to have them involved. And they're always trying to get in the yellow garage when I'm training people outside, they bang on the door and yell at me while I'm training, which I think is hilarious. And sometimes I let them in and, they can do jumping jacks in the corner while I'm I'm training the players. But I think it's always had, um, you know, my my want and willingness to have my family around, I think has always been positive. So I'll just share a little tidbit. Um, when my youngest was born, she's almost three. Uh, she was born right in the middle of the playoffs. And it happened to be the year that my team went the furthest we'd ever gone in the playoffs. So we won the first series. Then I gave birth to my daughter, my second daughter. And then... Two days later, we had our our first game of the second round. Where was the planning in that, Coach? Like that is a well the rule book. <laughs> I know. Well, I, my son was June. My uh, my middle one's April, and and she was March. So yeah, not. I mean, they were all a little bit early, but yeah, I guess I I should have known my team was going to do so well. You know, I should have planned accordingly. Anyways, I uh, didn't wave the magic wand at the right time. Anyway, so she was born two days before this second round game. And of course, you know me, I'm going to that game. That's my third kid, right? So I'm maybe less stressed about. <laughs> the poor third kid, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm less stressed about bringing her to the game. I've got some great yeah. pictures of her as a little peanut at the rink. 
it was in Cambridge, you know, up by the snack bar there at that game. But I will remember that game forever because my assistant coaches were awesome. And they, you know, they had this card for made for me that the girls all did. And it was great to have them there. And they're like, okay, like if you need to feed her or whatever, we'll, we'll take the reins. And, and they were great. Both of them are head coaches now. So like, I didn't have to be there. I'm sure they would have been fine on their own, but I, there was no way I was missing that game. So I remember we're doing the pregame and the coach from Cambridge, who, you know, Jeff was great. He got me my own room so that I could feed the baby and take care of business and all that kind of stuff. And we're going in to do the pregame. And of course the baby is being fussy, the newborn, not even a baby yet, just a newborn nugget. Mm-hmm. And so I go into the room and I'm breastfeeding the kid. Now I have a, like a towel over me, but it's the only way to get the newborn to shut up. You and I both know this, right? (laughs) And I'm like, it's the pregame before the second round and we've never been here. So I'm going to do it. And I'm going to have this baby latched to me. And it was amazing. The girls are all staring at me in the eyeballs. Like, look, staring right at me. I'm breastfeeding a kid. They're staring right at me. And I thought to myself, if if my coach, when I was a kid, came in breastfeeding a baby, like with a towel over them. Okay. I wasn't like exposing anything. Not that I care, but you know, I would have been like so distracted. I would have had, like, I would maybe have turned my head. I don't know. It wouldn't have been normal, right? Meanwhile, all these kids are looking straight at me. One kid was like, Kim, I'm listening, but I'm just going to close my eyes because, like, I don't feel comfortable. Everyone else (laughs) staring right at me. And I thought to myself, how awesome is this, right? Like, that I can blend these two things together and I've created an environment where they just think this is normal. This isn't weird to them. And hopefully, you know, down the line, when if they have kids, if they decide to have kids and they need to breastfeed or they have to do whatever, like they're going to remember that moment and go, oh, yeah, I remember when Kim did that. It was a bit weird, but whatever. And so I, I was, after the fact, I was so exhausted, I barely remember the game. I know we won easily. And I always thought to myself, oh, if I could just bring a newborn to every game, we're going to run away with it, you know? <laughs> it was like, I think we won 4-1 or something. I don't even, I was barely awake. I don't know what happened on the bench, but clearly they were motivated. So anyways, it was, uh, it was a nice sort of coming together moment of family and work. But, you know, I'm, I'm very conscious with my family. I don't say, oh, I have to go to work because I love what I do. So it's not, oh, I have to go. It's like, okay, I want to go to work or I, I'm going to work. I, I never like demean or I got to go home to the kids. Like I, I'm very conscious of the way I speak about both things because I love both things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I never want it to seem like I'm sacrificing or choosing, Oh God, I got to go to the rink now. Like that's, that doesn't come out of my mouth. And I think again, that's role modeling for them that I hope they have jobs in the future um, or careers in the future that they're passionate about and excited about. And they don't go, Oh God, I go do that. Uh, I think that's a really important message that I hope I'm sending them on a regular basis. Absolutely. That's awesome. But I did not know that. So that's a- Yeah, it's a bit of a legend story. I, I, I have to I pat myself on the back a little bit there on that one. But uh, it was um, it was great. And even even just the, you know, the opponent opposing coach being so understanding and giving me an extra dressing room so that, you know, we're in the heat of a playoff battle. And he's like, Yeah, no problem. I got, you know, like I just yeah. uh, that to me is also part of the hockey community and the family of it as well. Right. He could have easily been a jerk about it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, those things, again, I think are all important learnings, you know, for everybody involved. And it's not always cutthroat and win at all costs. And, you know, I always do laugh, though, when I do bring my kids to the rink, you know, often. And, and you know, in, in the PWHL, there aren't that many female head coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, and often my, my kids would be drawing on the floor in the hallway or running up and down the stairs. 
And, um, you know, the coaches are always be like, oh, who's who's going to watch your kids during the game? Or like, oh, you brought your kids again? And like, and, you know, and then I'd see them a fall, you know, a couple of weeks later and the kids wouldn't be there. They're like, oh, where are your kids? And I'm like, you realize when I bring my kids to the rink, it's like, take your kids to work day. Like, it's not easy when your kids are there and you're trying to coach a game. Right. Yeah. But these, they'd always be like, oh, where are your kids? Oh, like it was always an interesting comment. And then maybe I got my back up a bit about it. Um, but I always thought, like, I want to look at them and be like, where are your kids? You have kids. <laughs> where are yours? Oh, they're yeah. not here. Right. So just again, that expectation that, like, oh, who's going to watch your kids during this game? Or who's, where are your kids? Uh, and then eventually, I'm, you know, you know me. Oh, they're in the car. I'm just leaving yeah. them for three hours. Like, come okay, on. the window's cracked. They're it's fine. fine. It's a dead of winter. They'll snuggle. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Anyways. (laughs) They're in their (laughs) snuggie. It's all good. Oh, that's funny. Okay. So you know what? We've, we've talked about the impact of parents. We then talked about the balance between family and work. The next question that comes to mind for me is finding time for your own self-development and growth, right? I think you look at total female hockey, you look at being involved in this industry for quite a while now, usually you get into it because you want to help others, right? You want to help them develop. But at the same time, it can be hard to find pockets of time to ensure that you're doing what you need to, to develop yourself and to continuously grow yourself or just finding the time to invest in yourself in general, uh, which can be compounded once you have kids as well. And you have a career full time, especially as an entrepreneur. Has this ever been a challenge for you or I mean, even if it hasn't, what are some strategies that you've adopted to make sure that you're not always sacrificing your own needs for the needs of your clients or your family? Yeah, I think I've always had pretty good time management skills. I'd say that's probably one of my greatest gifts in life. Uh, I can shove a lot into any given day. And because I have a background as a strength and conditioning coach, I'm it's pretty easy for me to throw in a 10 minute workout that gets the job done. Like I understand how to do that and do it effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, now taking up squash, you know, that obviously takes a little more time. I don't have a squash court in my, in my room, but I do find times to make it work. And, and often, you know, my kids will come in and watch me or try to jump on my back when I'm doing pushups or which I'm not strong enough anymore <laughs> to deal with. But, <laughs> you know, I, I've always prioritized that. That's always been important to me. I, I'm just not as useful if I haven't done some form of exercise that maybe isn't the right word now, you know, like I look at everything as activity now or, you know, it's yeah. not so much a specific workout, but, uh, but I am, um, I do fit that in all the time, even if it's just wheeling around on the outdoor rink with my kids in the backyard, that to me is important. I would say I'm okay at the eating stuff. When you knew me back 10 years ago, I was like extremely diligent about what I ate and when I ate it and what I mm-hmm. wouldn't eat. Now it's much more fluid, but, uh, but I am conscious of it. Uh, now that I'm in my 40s, I have to be more conscious of it. I, I read a lot. That's the super nerd side of me. I listen to podcasts a lot. Uh, so I like to take in information. I don't read like fiction. It's mostly business books or uh, I do read some hockey books, maybe some autobiography type stuff. So I that's a consistent thing for me. And I find when I get away from reading, I don't know what it is. It's not like I don't feel like I'm learning, but I'm just not as good like I'm, I'm not a, I don't feel like I try to read for 15 minutes in the morning. I get up earlier than everyone else in my family. Mm-hmm. So like I, I really try to prioritize, even if it's just 15 minutes, I'd love to have an hour of reading in the morning. I can't work out in the morning. I'm too old for that. It's too creaky in the morning for me to do it. <laughs> um, nothing's moving well enough in the morning to do it. But um, that to me is 
like that's my time. I got coffee. I got a book. That is a big one for me to be consistent about. My family's a little nocturnal. So my kids go to bed really late. My husband goes to bed really late. I go to bed before everyone else in my house. So when I get up in the morning, no one's awake yet. And they're usually not awake for a couple hours. So that's when I'm knocking out my reading and a lot of my working on the business side of things before anyone gets up. So that's sort of like if I can knock out an hour or two of working on my business before the three amigos get up, uh, then I, you know, I, I prioritize what I need to get done so that I feel like, okay, even if the rest of the day is a disaster until I get to the rink or get to the yellow garage to train people, like I've got my main things checked off the list. Uh, so I kind of prescribe by that, like first things first, what's the most important thing. If I, if I only can get two things done today, what most of those be, those are not Instagram and emails. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah. I, I've been, I've always been good about that stuff. You know, taking up squash has been great for me. I think I might have meant, been meant to be an individual sport person. I've realized this now in my 40s. Um, just because I like the idea of it's like, you win, it's all your, you did it, you lose. That's all your fault. Like, it's all on me. I, I don't know. I seem to thrive under that, you know, type of mindset. And maybe that's why mm-hmm. I'm an entrepreneur with a business of one. But I like, you know, I like all the the weight to fall on me. But I will share a little story, which is, you know, maybe not as... Uh, a little bit more of a challenge for me. Um, after my sec- my third child was born, I suffered a little bit from some postpartum depression. I didn't know what that was because with my first two, I didn't have it, right? So I, I popped them out. I mean, it was exhausting, as you know, but I was fine. Um, mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, and, and it was almost instant with, with the third one, it was like, uh, the best way I could describe it was like, it was like, you know, when someone scores a goal in a hockey game and it's like that horn, it's like that horn is going off in my head. Like, so as soon as that anxiety would go, it was like, Meh. and like, it would just sort of be like, I wouldn't black out, but it was like nothing. That's all I could hear was this horn noise. And I was like, what the hell is this? Cause I never had it before. I never really had had any kind of anxiety or depression when I was a kid or, or, or even playing pro or whatever, I guess like from a mental toughness or what I just, I'd had it pretty easy, I guess, or I'd had the tools to deal with it. I didn't have the tools to deal with this. And because I'm a coach, because I'm a role model and because I have two other kids and because I run my own business, I didn't tell anyone about it. And I didn't want to show any weakness. I know now, obviously it's not a weakness, but I didn't want to share that. So I sort of dealt with it on my own. My husband obviously knew, you know, my parents knew, but I I didn't tell anyone else. Right. And Mm -hmm. that was dumb. Um, But I, but I, I also didn't want to label it. Uh, I didn't know what it was. I knew I felt weird. I knew I'd get like all of a sudden my breathing would go crazy. All the kids would be talking or somebody would want something. And all of a sudden, like that noise would come in my head and I didn't know which way was up. I didn't know what that was. I couldn't put a name to it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I just sucked it up. But there'd be times, you know, I recognize now they're probably panic attacks. You know, there'd be times I'd have like three or four of them in a day. I feel like I was having like a heart attack because mm-hmm. I just had so much going on. You know, my daughter's now three or she will be next month. Those years, I'm coaching two teams at the same time, midget AA and junior, which anyone who knows, like, that's insane. I'm not sure why I agreed to it, but I agreed to it before she was born. So that was a reality. I had to deal with that. Plus still running my business, plus two other kids, right? I, like, it was nuts, right? And then I had this, you know, this personal wellness issue that I just shoved under the carpet. It was bad. And I think people knew. They must have known that I was a little different or something, I, I never asked people really if they saw something different, but I, I felt different. I just felt like I, I, I would like, kind of get zoned out. And ironically, it took one of my players, one of my junior players going through something way tougher in her life 
you know, she lost her mom unexpectedly and then got two very bad concussions in quick succession and was in a really tough place mentally. And it got to the point where she actually moved in with us. Long story short, she didn't have a lot of support where she was at home and she moved into our house. So we had a three month old, this teenager who was going through a lot, who I happened to know for like 10 years. So Mm -hmm. she was sort of became like my daughter and my player, which is tough enough as it is. But given all the challenges she was going through was amplified, plus my kids, plus every. So it was a lot. And that to me was like maybe the breaking point because that adding that onto everything else that was going on for me, she didn't know I was having this postpartum stuff or if she did she didn't say anything mm-hmm. and then I, and then oh just come move into my house this will be fun so anyways I did it because I would do it again because yeah. that kid needed me and what she was going through in my mind was 8,000 times worse than what I was going through right and I don't know why mm-hmm. I put that judgment on it but I was just like oh I just kind of get anxious but this kid's mom died and she's got some potentially career-ending injuries and you know has this depression and what like I have to worry about her who cares about me right again now I realize how dumb this was but in the moment it seemed like the right thing to do as a leader as a coach you don't show that weakness right or that vulnerability Mm -hmm. so what ended up happening is we went and I started taking to her appointments to get help and uh you know she she wanted to have me there and I was happy to go with her and she started working with therapists and they started working on breathing techniques and different things to deal with her anxiety so what I told her after the first meeting or, or appointment was like, I was cheating off of her, right? She's sitting there doing the appointment to deal with anxiety. And meanwhile, I'm taking mental notes. So like, okay, so when I feel like that, I have to do this. I'm cheating off one of my players in her appointment. Yeah. Going, okay, here's my, here's how I'm going to cope, right? I'm going to, I'm going to take this moment to learn off of what she's dealing with to help myself. And so I told her right afterwards, I said, Hey, just so you know, I'm kind of dealing with the same thing. You know, once I did that and kind of showed that vulnerability, and again, that's a player I knew for 10 years. You know, she'd been to my camps. You know, she'd been on my team for four years. Like, she knew me as well as any player has known me. And she was like, okay. She wasn't like, oh, you're a bad person or a bad coach now because you have to deal with things. Like, there was no judgment. Mm-hmm. She didn't have time to worry about my crap. She was dealing with her own crap, right? But, you know, it just, for me, was like a little bit of a breath of fresh air to say, Hey, just so you know, I'm kind of dealing with the same thing. And, and I think, you know, it, it only heightened our relationship, but it, it opened the door for me to be able to share a little bit what I was going through. And it really wasn't until I would say during COVID that I started to share it a little bit with other coaches. Cause I realize now as I move into this new role uh, where I'm, you know, a little bit more hands-on with the whole association, how important it is for other coaches to hear that story right? Mm -hmm. To understand that you don't have to be a hero and just suck it up and not show any vulnerability. And now that I've shared it, you know, I remember doing a coaching call with some of our uh, high performance coaches here at Leaside, and I shared that story. And some of them kind of already knew because they'd been my assistants, but some of them didn't. And and there were six or seven of them on the call and three of them texted me right after. Thanks so much for sharing. That was really great. I had no idea if you ever, you know, sometimes I feel that like, and I'm like, holy crap, all I had to do is say something. And maybe I helped everybody on that call. Maybe, maybe I helped three of them a lot. I don't know. But I realize now, you know, I told my team about it. And I told them about it not in some big meeting way. It was, I think we were talking about mental toughness. And I just threw it into the conversation. And, you know, it was on Zoom. So I look at all their faces. Like, everyone's like, whatever, Kim. Like, it was just, it was nothing big. Meanwhile, I thought it was this huge thing. And they were going to, I didn't think I was worried about them judging me. I just thought that there is a persona 
that I have to deliver on, you know, as a coach, you're on stage, right? You can't show up and be like, nah, I feel like crap and I don't want to do this. You got to, you got to level up and get that energy going and, and make it happen. Even when you don't feel like it. And mm-hmm. I'm great at that. But that vulnerability to say, Hey, you know what? I'm going through something sometimes kind of sucks. And, and really that player who I went through, you know, that process with of going to her appointments, I remember very specifically, she came into the dressing room one day and she was going to take some time off. You know, she was trying to, you know, rehab from these concussions and be with the team and dealing with her mom. It was just too much. It's like, you know, I'm gonna take a little time away from the rink. And she made this speech and I couldn't actually be in the room because I knew I would break down crying, like sobbing, like a little baby. Right. So I was like, I can't. So I stood in the doorway kind of out of the room uh, in the back. And she's like, you know, I know sometimes you guys are going through tough things. You know, sometimes I'm going through tough things too. And in my head, I'm thinking, no one's going through the same things as you, right? Like I was putting a value on it. Oh, you've dealt with things that are way worse. But she's like, Mm -hmm. I know you guys are dealing with stuff too. And if you ever need to talk to someone, and that was a really big aha moment for me. I was like, this kid gets it. I don't get it yet, but she gets it, right? Because for me, you know, I had sort of diminished, you know, the anxiety I was feeling or the stress I was feeling as not as big or important as what this kid was dealing with. But for me, it was really big and important. It was all relative, right? And some other kid who's dealing with stress about school or something with family, that's big to them too. So, you know, it really was a great sort of come full circle moment to me to realize like, hey, this kid gets it. And now I get it that, you know, whatever vulnerability I can show is actually a strength, especially in that team environment, especially because I'm a female coaching females, you know, because I'm a mom, because I'm a business owner, like I want players to think I can do that. I want to be like her maybe one day or do some of the things she does. But I also want them to, to see that when they're doing those things, they can show vulnerability at the same time. They don't have to be a quote unquote superhero. And so that, you know, that to me was a big transformative moment in my coaching career about two years ago. And it like, I didn't care if we won a game again. I really didn't. It just happened to be the year we had the worst team I've ever coached on terms of the statistics. But I mean, talk about a team coming together and, and loving each other and understanding each other, right? You have a player who's, she was the captain, go through all this kind of stuff and be like, hey, if you ever need to talk, what other team building do you need to do, MJ? Like, that's it. <laughs> like, that's, yeah. to me, that was it. That was the top of the mountain. I did it as a coach. That's the environment I want to create. That's the experience I want to create. And it took me being in a dark place and that kid being in a really dark place to get to that moment but I'm so glad that we did. Yeah. Well, it goes back to what you were saying, right? Like perceptions, reality. So everyone has their own, you know, trials and tribulations or struggles. And to them, it's very relevant, right? But it's funny how we can, especially as coaches, kind of negate or downplay our own experience because our job is, you know, to serve these kids and make sure everything's good. And just to kind of bury that because it's quote unquote, not as important, but if you don't deal with it, you know, it is going to come out in some way, shape or form if it's not addressed. You know what I mean? Like, it's interesting because in my conversation with Jeff a few weeks ago, he brought up that concept of, you know, as a head coach, like you have support and stuff, but it can often feel like an island, right? Like you're left to to think about the challenges you're facing or if there's something going on with the team, like it, you don't necessarily feel like there's much support for you because you're the one that's supposed to be in charge and, and making the decisions. And, you know, when things don't go well, you bear that weight on your own shoulders. So the idea of, of yeah, showing that vulnerability and kind of embracing it and 
and creating an environment where coaches can know that they're not alone and kind of share their struggles together is a great way to help deal with it so that long-term, you know, you're able to be a better coach because you're, you're taking the actions that you're asking your players to take. For sure. Yeah. And I think that's, that's been a big shift for me. I I think when I started total female hockey, I was like, I want to help inspire other female coaches. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to get to work with you early on. And then that sort of planted the seed of it. But I, you know, it's ironic that I wrote that down as a goal when I was selling workout programs online. Like, how was I really impacting coaches? And, you know, some of our players we coached at peak are now head coaches in our organization. Uh, Three of them actually are all coaches in our organization, you know, and now I'm thinking about them, not as players, but as coaches and going, okay, now how do I role model for them? Right. I role modeled for them back when they were 13 and skating with us at, you know, at peak, but now it's different. You know, now their, their challenges are different. And how can I, you know, inspire them or empower them now in a slightly different way than I did back then. Uh, so it's been a, a cool shift. And like I said, it, it it's a great timing of it because of this role I'm taking on where I am uh, in charge of, you know, player development and coach development and really culture development for the whole organization. You know, that, that empowerment of the coaches, so important because they have the maximum impact, right? Mm-hmm. I can only have so much impact as one coach of 18 junior players. Now I can help coach the coaches and they're going to impact all, I don't know how many girls, we have 1,500 girls in the association. That's a mm-hmm. big responsibility, but I'm really excited uh, for that opportunity because I hope some of my experience and expertise I can share with them and they can share with me and we can continue to learn together. For sure. It's that empowerment piece, right? I mean, every coach wants to empower players, but in order to truly do so, you first have to empower yourself right? Through taking some of these steps and, and looking at some of that stuff that's going on behind the scenes. For sure. Yeah. So important. Okay. So I got two more questions for you here. The, the first one would be when COVID hit, I know that you kind of quickly began running some online training sessions for athletes from the quote unquote yellow garage. And yeah, I mean, when it first started, I think back to that point in time and I think, you know, rinks were closed Teams weren't sure what was going on in terms of of hockey and training and development or what the next season would look like. And I think for a lot of people, they felt just a bit frozen, kind of processing it all mentally. Whereas I know you were one of the first to kind of jump into action and say, okay, like, what can I do here to help ensure that we're filling this gap and that I'm still providing a service that's, that's really important to me and really important to my clients? What was it? kind of that motivated you in those early stages to get engaged and, and take action quickly at the onset of the pandemic? Yeah, it's a great question. And and I'm really proud of, of you know, I guess what, I, what I've done in the last year, because I think for me, well, part of it was, you know, you've got young kids at home and everyone's stuck inside and I, like I needed something to do, right? <laughs> like couldn't just bake bread all day. You know, I needed like something else to occupy my time. But you know, I, I, I remember uh, watching one of my friends, he coaches down um, in the States. And I remember seeing on Instagram or Facebook or something, him doing these online sessions. And, and I've always been big on, you know, mentorship from others. So, you know, when I, these years, I've coached two teams at the same time. It was often because I wanted to learn from the other coach, right? So like when I coached with um, Lisa at Ryerson, I did that because I wanted her to mentor me. You know, when I coached with the Arrows, I wanted it so that Ken you know, adopting could, could mentor me, you know? And so it was cool that I saw this guy online who, you know, we'd been at fitness conferences together like 15 years ago. 
and he's a hockey guy and he's doing these online sessions. So I called him and I said like, Hey, how's this going for you? Like, how's it working business wise? He's like, Oh, it's taken off. People love it. So awesome. Basically stole the idea from him after seeing it on social media. Thanks social media. And, um, anyways, I just, you know, I, I thought this is right up my alley. I love, I love teaching in the sort of step-by-step progression side of things. I've never been, let's do the fanciest drill with all the bells and whistles. I, I love the fundamentals. So I'm like, I can deliver on fundamentals from the yellow garage. I can teach people to shoot, even if they have nowhere to shoot, they just need their stick. And I can teach them the footwork and the hand positioning. And because of my strength and conditioning background, I can throw in workouts that are hockey specific and we could do stick handling. Like it just was kind of this aha moment. I'm like, oh, I, I have the tools to do this right now. I took my laptop into the garage, kind of put it up so that it would be level and I recorded it and I've kept the setup the exact same way. It was the same rickety table, the same little thing I put under the computer to tilt it the right way. And you know, it's not the best production quality in the world, but that first camp I ran, you know, I have a big newsletter list because I've been sending out weekly or monthly newsletters for 12 years. I just sent it out into the universe. Hey, who wants to come train in my yellow garage? And 88 people signed up that first week wow. from all over the place. I was like, what just happened? You know, I'm thinking five girls who, you know, I used to coach or do my skill sessions on the ice are going to sign up. And it was awesome. I had, I had 45 year olds and I had eight year olds, which you and I both know you're not getting those two age groups on the same, on the ice at the same time ever. No, no. Right. I had people, you know, as it progressed, I ran, you know, about eight weeks of that type of format of camp. Come show up. I'll teach you some stuff. I'm basically Jane Fonda in the doing everything, right? I'm not watching them do it. I'm like doing all the jumping jacks, doing all the push-ups. Do you have the doing... unitard on? Like the neon unitard? I didn't do the unitard, but I definitely, you know, me and my orange. I mean, I have oh, some good yeah. outfits, you know, at least yeah. I have no swag, but I, you know, I have a lot of orange. So I'm doing all these, you know, things that people all ages from all over the world. I had people signing up from Russia, Kazakhstan, Japan, Hawaii, like, and of course they have to deal with the time difference. Like, I don't know what time it is in Russia when I'm doing this lesson, I'm just doing the lesson for an hour, you know, but it was, it really, for me, after that first week, I remember saying to my, my dad and my husband, like, this is why I started total female hockey in the first place. It wasn't to just coach the elite and coach the players who wanted to make the Olympic team one day, you know, and that in my coaching career, you sort of start to move up the ladder, you get pretty good at it. People like you, they want to give you a higher level coaching job. And so that's how I sort of moved up to where I am now with, with, with the junior team. But I loved coaching those seven-year-olds and those 57-year-olds in the garage. Didn't matter. It doesn't matter to me, honestly, MJ. And you know, I'm telling the truth. I do not care because all I want to do is empower that person with some tools that they can use to drive their own excellence. Oh, you felt empowered because of the quote I used, or all of a sudden you could do a push-up because I showed you how to do it right. Or we worked on backhands and then you went out in your team practice and roofed one. That's what I care about. Right. And all of a sudden by doing these yellow garage workouts, I was back doing that. And, and I had some consistency. There were people who did, you know, I started right at the end of March and I went pretty much through till August, like until like the rinks were back open here in Toronto in earnest. And I had people who did almost every session with me the whole time, like 10 year olds. And like, wow. it's obviously cause I'm so funny. Um, <laughs> but there was some reason they kept coming back. Right. And to me, again, I never shot an actual puck because like if I shot it, it would have hit my computer. Cause that's not the biggest garage in the world. And so it was amazing to me to get the feedback from 
from players, from parents being like, you really had this impact on my daughter. You really had this impact in my game. And I thought to myself, I remember sending these newsletters out when I created Total Female Hockey 12 years ago, and people would send these emails back to me and be like, oh my God, I'm so glad you created this so that I have somewhere to go to find this information. Because that's the whole reason I started it in the first place. I think of myself as a 13-year-old going, I don't know what workout to do. I don't know what skill stuff to do. I'll just do what the boys over there are doing because no one's talking about what the girls should do. And that's why I started it. And you know, the, the irony of COVID and, and being stuck at home is that like, it brought me back to why I started coaching and, and doing total female hockey in the first place. And I'm so thankful for that because up until that point, I was just running on fumes, doing skill sessions here and junior stuff here and helping teams here and blah, blah, blah. Like it was just a whirlwind, a tornado of stuff. And to have that quiet moment and go, this is the stuff I love the most. Just that individual player empowerment piece. Mm -hmm. That was awesome. So it worked out, you know, I sort of felt a little like guilty that I was like, I'm killing it. Yay, COVID. And my kids loved it. They're like, we love COVID. Mommy's home all the time. Like, okay, guys, like COVID's awesome. My daughter actually said that, the four-year-old. I love COVID. Mommy's here. It's like, oh, okay. But it was great for me to have that be reignited. You know, fall back in love with why I started this in the first place. Mm-hmm. And it was just a really cool moment that, of course, I did not expect. None of us expected. Yeah. But it's really, you know, it's really been a, a, an awesome uh, year for me to re-engage with, with total female hockey in that way. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that I think is very notable and so cool about that experience for you is that your motivation to empower other people, like outweighed your fear of failure or fear that, Hey, like maybe this won't work out. Right. It was like, it was an opportunity. So the adversity wasn't a setback. It was an opportunity to positively impact other people. I think it's a good lesson for a lot of coaches and instructors, because I'm sure the idea probably crossed the minds of some other coaches and instructors, but some people get caught up in, Oh, you know, well, will the program work or, you know, is, is my technology good enough? Or like, do I need to buy this, that, and the other, or will people actually be interested in the drills I'm running? Or am I, you know, am I like, it's that imposter syndrome. Like, am I good enough to actually impact other people? Whereas at the onset, yeah, there were a lot of people that were just looking for that connection and looking for an opportunity to work on their hockey skills. Right. I think sometimes people get in their own way. And one of the blessings in your situation is that you're really attached to your purpose, like your why, why you do it, right? You want to empower other people and you have the confidence and self-belief that you need in order to successfully achieve that, right? Like those are the major factors that are going to contribute to to any coach or instructor having the success they want to have. Yeah. And I appreciate that. I think the, you know, I had that feeling when I sent the first email out, I'm like, well, I hope people sign up. Like we all have that. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm used to throwing stuff out into the you know, the World Wide web and being like, oh, I hope someone responds Mm -hmm. or sending an email and hoping people sign up for the camp. Like I live that, you know, I've lived that forever because I'm an entrepreneur. You want people to want that. But what I learned after that first camp was people wanted that connectivity. They wanted, you know, the parents loved it. Oh my God, my daughter has somewhere to go at four o'clock every day. Thank you. I'll sit on the couch and have a glass of wine. Thank you. Right. But that's important too. Right. But Again, for me, it was, you know, it's again, it's being on stage and connecting. I, I can't show up at a yellow garage session and be like, all right, guys, let's go. Now, trust me, I feel like it sometimes. Like it's a hurricane in here sometimes in this house. 
right? And I don't have the energy, but I have to find a way to level up and inspire those people in that moment. And I think they appreciate that because I'm sure a lot of those athletes are coming to that session going, especially when we were, you know, stuck doing virtual learning for so long. I'm sure some of them are coming on oh, back on the computer. And I always said, hey, I'm going to be your best online session of the day. I don't really know how high that bar is for you, but I'm going to exceed it. And again, it was so much more about the energy I brought and that relationship piece than it was whether I was showing them the right way to jump or shoot a snapshot. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was important too to me, but I don't think it was as important mm-hmm. to them. I think that connection was the thing that was important to them. Well, yeah. And I think like you said, right? Like that voice is always there if you're an entrepreneur. And I think even as a coach at times it's there, you know, like, oh, like, are people going to like this? Are they going to buy into it? You know, do they like what I'm doing? But it's that your purpose or your why empowers you enough to take action, right? Like that doubt doesn't lead to you not being willing to take the action in the first place, right? It's that balance. For sure. And I think, you know, I have another quote that I love, you know, it says, just take a step Take one step in the right direction and keep walking. Yep. Like, you know, I trust me, these yellow garage sessions, there, there is no like Disney like production quality. Like it is grainy. It gets chopped up when I start stick handling. It's not perfect. Right. Like, but it works. And I didn't get caught up in the details. I just thought, okay, I'm going to take this step. I'm going to send this email and see what happens. But I also think I know who I am. I know what I'm good at. I know what I love to do. I'm very authentic. Like I'm, I am who I am, who I am. I'm like that when I'm coaching my team. I'm like that with my kids. I'm like that when I'm running skills. Like I, I don't put on airs about who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I just thought, okay, well, and, I, and I've been doing this a long time. I think that was the other advantage I had. Okay. So to wrap it up here, I always like to finish with this question. Uh, if you could go back in time to your first year coaching and tell yourself one thing, what would it be? I love this question because I have a great story that I share with every coach that I have worked with uh, from my first year of coaching. So my first year when I was going to be a bench coach, I, of course, thought I was amazing and knew everything, as we all do when we're a first year coach. Like, I can do this. And I was going to take on my own midget double A team, and it fell through. I can't even remember why. Uh, but I had an opportunity to come back to Side, which is where I grew up playing and co-coach uh, with a coach who had been uh, coaching her daughter and her friend and her daughter's friends from novice all the way through midget. She oh. coached them the whole way. And she's a, a great athlete at, at University of Toronto, very accomplished in her professional life and her athletic life. And she's like, yeah, you can come coach with me. And it was her final year. So almost everybody on the team is grade 12s. I think we had three kids from peak. You, you and I coached together that came and played, but everyone else is grade 12 and they all played together forever. Great dressing room, great environment. But I remember talking to the coach and we were in the rink, like we're at Ted Reeve arena downtown in the beach. She's like, okay, Kim, here's the deal. I don't need to run any more practices in my life. You can run all the practices. You can pick all the systems. You know, you want to do workouts. You want to do this on the power play. You got all of that. That's on you. She's like, I'll do everything else. And of course me with my ego thinking I knew everything. I'm like, what's everything else? Yeah. Isn't that everything? Isn't the power play and the, the flow drills and the, you know, the like work, isn't that everything? Like, God, I was dumb. Right. And I think like now I tell that to everyone now, cause I'm like, that's like a very small part of the thing, right? Like how you're going to, where you're going to stand on the power play is such a minute part of coaching. It's such a tiny little piece of the puzzle. 
right? All the soft skills and, you know, how she was able to deal with parents in the dressing room. We had a great team. I think we finished second, um, you know, in the lower lakes that we were like, you know, going to be like one of the better teams at provincials. Like we were a very successful team and it was, we had, didn't have drama. The girls all got along, you know, there was, we, we were consistent. That wasn't because of me. That was because all of the other stuff that she was doing <laughs> that I had no idea mm -hmm. even what that was. Right. So ironically, I play squash with her husband now and I always tell Karen, I'm, I'm really focusing on those other things because that, those, the hockey things, that wasn't where I, where I should have, no, at that time in career, that was where my confidence was. So I'm glad that I focused on it and that she was able to, you know, run the other 80% of the team, all the soft stuff. But I learned so much in that one year, having that mentor. And I think sometimes coaches, because of our bravado or our ego, we just throw ourselves in and go, oh, I can head coach this team. And I, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough or been around here long enough in our organization, quite often, you know, female coaches in their first year who are a little bit younger, their first year isn't all unicorns and rainbows. It's hard, right? Because again, have they got those skills, those softer skills to deal with parents, to figure out how to ebb and flow the energy of the players, how to deal with issues in the dressing room. Are we empowering coaches with those skills or are we just mm -hmm. giving them more flow drills to do? Flow drills are easy. I can find, I can Google it. I'll have 300 in eight seconds, right? But all those other pieces of the puzzle, you know, again, I was very fortunate in that first year that I had that mentor, but, but that comment to me will always stick out to me thinking, oh, I, what do you mean the other stuff? So I always now am focused, you know, I can, I can teach a power play and I can give people drills. Don't get me wrong. But I, I really think there's a space in coaching to teach people how to deal with the other stuff. And if, and if I can't teach it, if it's not a how-to manual, I can at least be uh, someone they can bounce it off of. Because I've seen a lot. Not a ton that can surprise me, especially after COVID. I think we've done it all now <laughs> as coaches wood. if you've been around it long enough. <laughs> a knock on wood. But I do think, you know, my experience and, and some of my expertise can help. But I, I, I'm very conscious of especially young female coaches, because I want there to be more female coaches in the female game. I do think it's important. I don't think it's the be all and end all, but I, I'm tired of seeing young female coaches who have the passion and have the experience come in guns a blazing and not be empowered to deal with, you know, the realities of coaching a team and all of the, that means. And that's something that I'm very passionate about that I want to help you know, those female coaches with, and whether they're young or older, you know, a woman who just learned how to play and wants to take on a, a bench, you know, th that's, that's a bit of a passion project for me to help people, uh, help women in, in that scenario. Cause I, I do think, um, sometimes we, we shoot ourselves in the foot and, uh, you know, we set ourselves up to fail by not taking some mentorship and, and, and asking questions and, and learning those other pieces other than just how to shoot a slap shot and, and how to break out. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's interesting, right? Cause I feel like that there's almost an evolution there. Like there's some, there's some elements of soft skills that I feel like you really have to learn and develop through experience, right? Trial and error. It's like anything. It's like, you know, being a player, there's certain elements of the game that you learn more through experience. So sometimes it's also just being, being patient with yourself and giving yourselves opportunities to continuously learn and being open to opportunities to learn. Because like you said, there's often that stereotype when coaches first get in that they need to prove themselves, right? They need to assert that they know, quote unquote, everything, even if deep down they don't think they know everything. And it's hard because it's trying to fight that 
that bias, right? Or that, I guess, just tendency to feel like you need to exert your authority or prove yourself and kind of trade that in for like that humility, right? Or the willingness to continuously learn from the get-go versus having to try to do it one way, realize it doesn't work, and then open your mind up to to something a little bit different. Yeah, I think they have to run in parallel, right? Because I do think, especially if you're you know, a younger female and you're coming into an environment where all the parents are older than you, right? They all think they know better than you. And mm-hmm. you do have to own your strengths. You know what? I know I'm going to be the best skill person because I know how to teach skill, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to be the best systems person because I know how to run these face-offs. I, I do think you have to own those or else you're, if they expect anything, they expect your on-ice stuff to be great. That's yeah. the minimum when you're coming mm-hmm. in as a, you know, a female, like quote unquote professional coach. Right. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's, as you said, that humility to understand, you know, I, I really don't know how to deal with this angry parent or this issue in the dressing room or whatever. And instead of trying to put out fires, maybe seeking out other coaches that have been around the game a little bit longer, because, you know, those of us who've been around a while now, like we know the importance of all that stuff. So again, that's mm-hmm. something I'm, you know, I'm kind of formalizing here at Leaside now because of the role I have. I've always been that sounding board, I think, for a lot of coaches over the last couple of years, especially as a female who's kind of stuck around for mm-hmm. quite a bit of time. But I do think it's it's important for the, you know, to own your strengths and strengthen your strengths. I think as women, often we get caught up in worrying about our weaknesses and over-focusing on those things. So I do think you need to own your strengths, but you do need to have that vulnerability to be like, you know what? I don't know how to do that. Can you help mm-hmm. me with that? And I think that's that's the most powerful point. If you can ask those questions and be a lifelong learner and be willing to say, I don't know, uh, I think that's where we can really move you know, the female hockey game forward. For sure, yeah. And proactively surround yourselves with that experience, right? With people that maybe know more than you do. For sure, yeah. The mentorship mm-hmm. piece is huge. And I'm, I'm very proud now to, to be in that role now with, with a lot of women who coach, but also, you know, I've, I've leaned on many people, you know, like Lisa at Ryerson, many other people who've been around the game longer than I have. And, and I've sought out those opportunities and gone to them with challenges and celebrated successes with them. And I think you have to be uh, willing to do that and understanding that it can really transform the way uh, you look at, at your position as a coach. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much again for this, Kim. It's been great catching up, chatting about all this stuff. I've definitely learned some things that I didn't know before. So I'm happy you were able to make the time to connect. Well, I appreciate it, MJ. It was fun. And you know how I love to tell stories. I got that from my dad. So, um, you know, there's there's many more where that came from. So if you ever need to fill, you know, a ton of airtime, just let me know. We can always do it again. We'll definitely connect again down the line. Thanks, MJ. Thanks, MJ.